We'll be picking up where we left off with Moses, the close of Exodus chapter 6, the beginning of chapter 7 this morning. Remember, Moses has had enough. He doesn't think he is acceptable uh, for the service that the Lord has given to him. There's a genealogy to authenticate and uh, provide credibility uh, for Moses and specifically Aaron. Aaron would be the lead spokesman for Moses, uh, which is where the story resumes here. And uh, the Lord reassures him as well as the people of Israel of his great plan. So we're going to pick up in verse 28, chapter 6, and read through verse 7. On the day when the Lord spoke to Moses in the land of Egypt, the Lord said to Moses, I am the Lord. Tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, all that I say to you. But Moses said to the Lord, Behold, I am of uncircumcised lips. How will Pharaoh listen to me? The Lord said to Moses, See, I have made you like God to Pharaoh, and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command you, and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart. And though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel, out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. God's word is a lamp to our feet, a light to our path. Let's thank him for it. Lord God, we do praise you for your word, that you would condescend to us in a way that we can understand. We don't presume to understand on our own. Father, you must give us your spirit that we might understand and apply this word faithfully. We pray now that as we hear your word spoken, that you would make us attentive, that you would block out all that is untrue or unhelpful, that we may be encouraged, growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord Jesus as we seek to follow you. Help us now, we ask, in Christ's name, amen. On uh, Wednesday evenings, at least a few times over the last several weeks, uh, several of our, our youth have gathered together in a circle, and John, who's not here this morning, John and I pretend to be youth, and we sit in the circle with them, and we play this uh, game called Assassins. Now, that is not as unbiblical and gory as it sounds, um, because in this case, the person who is the assassin in the circle has to wink at other people. And if you get winked at, then and they, they have to, to wink without being caught uh, by the others uh, in the circle, giving themselves away. And so the more people that they can take out with their wink, um, uh, the better. But there's one person who sits in the circle uh, and who can just sit there and enjoy the action because they know who the assassin is. Uh, because they've just picked the assassin. And so they sit there and they can't say anything, they can't play, but they can... Uh, sit there and laugh because they know uh, who was chosen for this. And in these summary verses, before we get into the strikes of judgment against Egypt, Moses is forgetting that God knows. God is the one who 
made his mouth, is going to give him the words to say. Um, But he's having a hard time trusting in the power and the ability of God's word that he knows. You and I really struggle with not knowing, don't we? We want to know how things are going to turn out before we actually march out. You know, how will starting or stopping this particular activity affect the family? You know, how is this financial decision going to pan out? What will happen if I go to this school or that school or take this job or that job? And we have this persistent yet ill-conceived notion that if we just knew how things would turn out, well, then that would make life so much easier. And we could relax more. We could enjoy it and, and sit back and enjoy the game. right? Because um, we knew how things would turn out. Uh, the wise teacher of Ecclesiastes, he was all over this. Uh, he says to, to know as much as he could, to apply uh, this knowledge as best he could. You remember what he says? For in much wisdom is much vexation, aggravation, displeasure. And he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. See, here's the fundamental issue. And and this issue is only a problem in our sin. For us to know the impact of every decision or to know what's going to happen before it happens would make us God. And we're not Him. We are not the one who is. So Moses, Moses is struggling with not knowing and trusting in the Lord. We struggle with not knowing and trusting in the Lord. Especially when things are not as easy or smooth as we were expecting, hoping for. So how does the Lord respond to Moses this time? Does he pounce on him, lay into him? Well, he does. He lays into him with a summary of his sovereignty. Um, he's sovereign over all that's going to take place with Pharaoh. Sovereign over the events of this exodus. He knows. And we see his sovereignty and control over all that is outside and all that is inside uh, in this summary passage. Uh, the Lord's going to see his purpose through. Um, that's what he assures uh, Moses with again. He says, See, I have made you God to Pharaoh. Moses, get this into your head. You are my prophet. You're my spokesman, and now I'm giving you your own prophet. And this is something that Pharaoh would recognize. You know, as an incarnation of the gods of Egypt, Pharaoh would not be the one doing all the speaking. He would have others speaking for him. So the Lord is not making Moses divine, but he will stand as a representative of the Creator God. So this is really God confronting Pharaoh toe-to-toe. The presumed divine being standing against the divine being in Moses as his representative. So what Moses says is what God says. And that is what Aaron is communicating uh, to Pharaoh. No more, no less. So no more resistance for Moses. And we're not going to see any more resistance from him. He's going to uh, go with Aaron uh, to Pharaoh. They do just as the Lord commands them. Now that they're, they're in their 80s, all of this gets started. Um, I think we could conclude that that lifespans were getting shorter from the time of Moses to the time of David. There's several hundred years there. We know Moses uh, dies at 120 years old. Uh, Scripture says, eyes undimmed and vigor unabated. Um, 
But listen to what David shares in Psalm 90. The years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. So I think of the 42-year-old starting a major league career, or the 67-year-old trying American Ninja Warrior. Aaron and, Aaron and uh, Moses are not spring chickens anymore uh, when this starts. Um, they're not going to go about this work by their own strength and their own vitality. Um, they'll do just what the Lord commands. And so verse 6 is a summary of all that's going, uh, going to come with Pharaoh. But God is sovereign over the lips of Moses. He knows what will be said and how each character in this story is going to respond. And what Moses feared, that Pharaoh would not listen, is exactly what will happen. So in a real sense then, don't we understand why Moses doesn't want to go back and confront Pharaoh? We need to hear, we need to hear as Moses needed to hear, that God knows. He is controlling the factors here. Moses is not. If God is calling, then he, he will supply what is needed. And like what one commentator says, God's call is always accompanied by God's gift. God has made his lips. God has given Aaron, and God has issued this command. So no more, no more arguing. It's time to march back into the courts of Pharaoh. And we know how the story unfolds. Important for us to see how Moses and Aaron did just as the Lord commanded how often do you and I do just as the Lord commands without making excuses or trying to rationalize it away somehow? Um, I think oftentimes as Christians, we really get a, a sense of what the Lord may be asking us to do through time in prayer, through time spent in His Word. Um, that maybe we do need to wait on this decision or we do need to step out and act but we rationalize against it. You know, the, the time factor and the money factor, the, the family. Because we don't want to wait. Or we don't want to act. So we need to listen. We need to trust the Spirit of God that if it's time to speak, He will supply the words. If it's time to say silent, He will supply the answer. If it's time to work, He will supply the tools. If it's time to rest, He will supply in the rest. Again, I'm thinking of those times, those decisions that are pretty clear, where we know, like Moses here, that the Lord is giving a clear instruction. Other times, that instruction is not so clear. Um, one of those gray areas where following in obedience to the Lord uh, takes more time in prayer and processing and wise counsel. Um, what would the Lord have me do? Maybe you've asked that question recently. Um, here are a few questions that have been passed along uh, to me. I don't know if I've shared these before. I may have. Um, I found helpful for those gray areas in making those decisions. Uh, Paul says to the church in Corinth that all things are lawful, but not all things are, are helpful or beneficial. Building up. Is this decision beneficial? Does it edify? Uh, will it bring glory to God? Um, is it the best use of time? You know, be wise, make the best use of time because the days are evil. Is this the best use of time? Another question, does it tend to enslave? Make me a servant to it or make others a servant to it? That's a helpful question. Uh, will this action, will this decision 
strengthen against temptation? Is it characteristic of the world or characteristic of the Father? Uh, Finally, does it offend others or does it defile the body? Certainly more questions that we could come up with uh, in here, but some helpful diagnostic and making decisions um, following the Lord's command when it may not be as easy to discern. Something else for us to take uh, from this passage is our role as spokesmen, spokeswomen of the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, Moses is a prophet of God. Now Aaron, we're told, is a prophet of Moses. In Luke chapter 24, the resurrected Jesus is walking with these two men on the road to Emmaus, and they're talking about what has been happening in Jerusalem. And so Jesus asked them about these things. And he said to them, what things? And they said, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and word before God and all the people. So Jesus was the spokesman of God, as God himself. He was the great prophet. And Jesus passes along that prophetic ministry to the apostles. He says, You will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And then one of these apostles who comes along later, the apostle Paul, this is what he says to the church. I'll read a little bit more here from 2 Corinthians. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. The message of the kingdom, the message that there is forgiveness in Christ, reconciliation, healing in Jesus, that is communicated through the church. Church, think about that. Think about the weight of that, the responsibility that is ours. In that sense, we are all spokesmen for Christ, His faithful ambassadors. You are Christ to those that you interact with as, as much as, or in a similar way as Moses is God to Pharaoh. You may be the only faithful representative of Christ that someone sees or hears. It's the goal of the church, listening to Karen Ellis. She's a, a visiting scholar at RTS in Jackson. She's working on a PhD in missions. She made a great comment as she was talking about the created order in Genesis 1 and 2, And how that order of love and service and rule has been reversed in sin. The sin of the first Adam. With that sin, now now we dominate and marginalize and abuse. So in the coming of Jesus, the second Adam, we're shown that alternative witness. What the ordered world looks like before we get to glory. And then she goes on to say that this is a central function of the church, to show the beauty of what the created order should look like. I think what a powerful witness as ambassadors for Christ to show what God's good order looks like to those who are dead in Adam. Final thought here before we look at God's sovereignty of what is inside as well as outside. Moses and Aaron are getting up there in years. 
And they may have thought, as we are prone to think, uh, as we see the years go by, that the good old days, the best days are behind us. Now it seems we just don't have as much to offer, maybe to our families or to the church family. Or, and this is one's a little more toxic, I've put in my time someone else can follow or honor the Lord in this way. So let's take courage here. Take courage. Moses was 80 years old and the people haven't set a foot out of Egypt yet. We can serve the Lord. We can glorify God in every season of life. Ask Him for this. Seek Him in ways that you can grow more and use your life experiences to encourage others in godliness, especially with the more years you have behind you. So we read in verses 3 through 5 that Pharaoh will not listen to Moses. He'll end up listening to the God of Israel. Um, and again, let's ask the question, what's the point? Why, why is all this happening? What's the goal of the Lord stretching out His hand? He does this that Egypt wouldn't know that He is the Lord, that He alone is God. And we're going to hear that phrase repeated in the judgments upon uh, the gods of Egypt. He is God, not just any God. He is the covenant Lord of Israel. You know, it's one thing for Israel to know and acknowledge the Lord's power. But now a resisting pagan nation is going to know that He is supreme, that He's sovereign. In verse 4, He'll bring the hosts of Israel out of the land. It's a picture of this commanding general leading his troops off the battlefield in victory. He'll do this through the many signs and wonders, a special display of his power. You think, could God do this in a flash? Could Moses and Aaron go into Pharaoh's court on day one, and then day two the people are marching out? Sure he could. He could do it that way. But in his sovereignty and wisdom, he will multiply his signs for his greatest glory. He knows how this is going to happen. He's in full control of the natural elements of the supernatural world and the very hearts of men. We read again that the Lord will harden Pharaoh's heart. He's going to oversee and superintend Pharaoh's stubbornness and obstinance. Pharaoh will see these signs and wonders, but he will not respond in the way that he should until that exact time that the Lord has set. Pharaoh is fully responsible for his actions. We're going to read in a few chapters that the Lord raised Pharaoh up for this very purpose, to show his power. Paul will make reference to this passage in Exodus when speaking of God's sovereignty and mercy to the early church. He says, So then he has mercy on whomever he wills, and he hardens whomever he wills. He goes on to say, What Will what is molded say to the molder, why have you made me like this? Who are we to talk back, to answer back to the sovereign God of the universe? And this is a paradox for us. It's a hard one for us to reconcile. But the Bible holds these truths together without concern, without question. That God is sovereign and we are fully responsible for our actions. And sometimes they're held together in the very same passage. One example of this is uh, Peter's sermon in Acts chapter 2. He says, This Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God, you crucified and killed by the hands of lawless men. 
and we wrestle with this because we want control. We want to know, but God's, God's sovereignty and our responsibility, it's, it's not only a beautiful paradox, it is, it is a great good for us. The sovereignty of a good and gracious and compassionate and faithful God, that is an assurance. We can find deep rest and confidence in this. Even as we seek to walk in obedience, even as the events of our days change in a flash. I've seen that happen in our family this last week. Think, really, Lord, what next? But he knows. He's in full control. And he's infinitely good and wise in the ordering and care of our lives. God's sovereignty of the hearts of men, of the hearts of women, really shows. It shows us that the work of the heart, any spiritual response, spiritual change is not up to us. It is beyond human control. Moses and Aaron will go to Pharaoh, but God is the one who knows his heart. There's there's nothing that they can do as, as a spokesman, nothing we can do as spokesmen for the living God to change or to make people believe in God's word. To believe in the word requires faith, and this faith is a gift of God's grace. So the prophet is not responsible for the response. The prophet is to be faithful to the Lord's command. As ambassadors of Christ, we've been entrusted with God's word, and we're to be faithful in living and preaching and sharing, whether that word is heard or not. Whether it's received or despised. God is at work through His Word. And we want others to respond. We want to see hearts changed. Another preacher, he once wrote that what we want to do the most is what we are most incapable of doing. And that is the most freeing thing in the world. What we want to do the most, we are incapable of doing. And it really is freeing. It frees us from the world's expectations or idea of success to be faithful with the word be faithful to the word paul shares in first corinthians 4 this is how one should regard us as servants of christ and stewards of the mysteries of god moreover it is required of stewards that they be found faithful so there there's your success as a christian uh, to be found as a faithful witness to the word Now consider the effect this has on evangelism for a second. When we think about the purpose of evangelism is to see others put their faith, trust in the Lord Jesus, and that is certainly a main focus of sharing the gospel and the hope that we have in Christ. But it's not the only purpose. Living as a Christian and modeling, modeling that life rightly ordered in Christ, sharing the gospel, it also confirms the sinner in their sin, in their unbelief. So in Isaiah chapter 6, is a passage that, that Jesus makes reference to in Matthew 13. The prophet says, And he said, Go and say to this people, Keep on hearing, but do not understand. Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull and their ears heavy and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. Some will only be hardened, only confirmed in their sin. 
as they hear the Word of God. They think of the public ministry of Jesus. Was the Lord Jesus trying to convert everyone that He spoke to? You know, if, if success is the number of conversions, if the church growth is, is all about the numbers, then Jesus would have been an utter failure in planting a church. Utter failure in evangelism. Most rejected him. But God is sovereign over the inside. Some reject and some believe. God is going to show, He's going to show Egypt that He is Lord. Some will turn to him in Egypt. Others, following Pharaoh's lead, will see the Lord's power and not acknowledge him as such. The Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of all. He is high and lifted up. He's sovereign over all. At his name, every knee will bow in heaven and on earth. So let me ask you, have you bowed the knee to Jesus? Have you repented of your sin and received forgiveness that is only offered in Christ? Receive life in His name. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It was thought that the Egyptian gods, Ra and Horus, were sovereign over everything. And Pharaoh, as the incarnation of these gods, would be sovereign. He would know but the Lord makes it very clear that He is sovereign over the hearts of kings, sovereign over your life and mine. So I think if, if you're watching any March Madness or any other live ball games, you know the team usually comes together before the game starts. The, the coaches join the huddle and here's, here's what to expect. Here's how this game is going to go for us. Well, in a way, here's your divine huddle. Divine huddle with Moses before the battle begins. A battle where the Lord knows the beginning and the end. And Moses can press on in obedience. I opened with a reference to Ecclesiastes. I'll close with another. We consider the sovereign hand of God in keeping His commands. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him. Let's obey in the fear of the Lord and the assurance of the One who is sovereign and who knows. He knows it all. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank You for Your Word to us. That You are sovereign over all. That You know our hearts. You know everything about us. Lord, this would be a scary thing if You are not a good, wise, loving God who has come to our rescue in Jesus. Lord, as we bow the knee to Christ and work in our hearts, fuse us with a greater measure of Your Spirit, a greater love that we might follow as Moses and Aaron followed Your commands, went back to Pharaoh, that we might be faithful ambassadors, faithful spokesmen for You in this day and in this week. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.